All right, and we're live. Welcome to the first official Loopcast Live. We saw this as an opportunity to hang out with some of the audience here on their lunch break on a Monday, wrap up the weekend news, keep it really casual. Uh, joined as always by my co-hosts, Erica and Josh. How are we feeling with, with the live element? How are you feeling today? A little nervous, got to admit, got to admit, but uh, this is good. Why? Roger, we're never, ready. never nervous. Josh has never been nervous in his life, fortunately for us. <laughs> If you don't uh, care about other people's opinions, it gets a lot easier. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. A hard, a hard vet over there. Are you but saying the, I'm the, vain? <laughs> I'm just saying I have no shame. <laughs> Good distinction. I appreciate that. Uh, speaking of no shame, uh, we have had some comments over the weekend from our current president, President Biden, uh, when talking about January 6th. Uh, also, another presidential topic, we have the 2024 SCOTUS calendar dropped, and it looks like they will hear the Trump case in terms of whether or not he could be on the ballot, as we saw in Colorado and New Hampshire. Uh, some people thought that he shouldn't be. So, uh, uh, Josh. The, I mean, I love you. it. The mainstream media said, we're going to see whether or not the judges will get a chance to play a role in this election, which is, of course, their way of kind of salting it, right? To sit, Because they want the, the Supreme Court to make the right decision, right? So they're saying, we're going to see whether, I guess judges are going to play a role in this election. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to see whether or not the people get to continue exactly. having a role in this election, <laughs> you know, or is it going to be ruled by, you know, the secretary of state of Colorado and the secretary of state of Maine, just unilaterally deciding all the people in my state don't get to vote for this person because I've decided that they somehow are, un, you know, unqualified for the ballot. And so again, I, the means mainstream media, they want to set this up, you know, removing your opponent from the ballot is the ultimate attack on democracy. And yet the Democrats keep talking about how Republicans are a threat to democracy. They keep saying Donald Trump is so bad. He's so terrible. He's breaking all the norms. Therefore, we should, I don't know, adopt a Soviet style and get rid of our opponents and kick him from the ballot. Exactly. Like, exactly. You'll right. lose your mind. And we'll talk, we'll talk about this when we uh, watch Biden's speech from uh, his January 6th like commemoration speech there. But we're really living, we, you have to remember, like we're living in the upside down here. So when you hear this verbiage of attack on a democracy, we have like power struggles, we have Nazi Germany all over again. It's the upside down because like Josh is saying, removing people from the ballot is the night of the long knives. Like that is, that's what's going on with them. And they're just like, well, we'll just call black, white, and unfortunately, you know, half the country is going to listen to that and get terrified. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. So, the Colorado. Oh, go ahead. Yep. Well, I was just going to say, are you saying the new electoral math is two plus two equals five, right? I mean, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> like, so 2020. <laughs> I feel like it's just like new math more generally. Uh, yeah, so it's funny it's you guys okay. use a lot of Nazi uh, language. Uh, the president chose to use a lot of Nazi language as well. And I have a clip that we can all watch together because of the magic of live streaming technology. So oh, let's see if it I'm works. Share my tape, Tommy. <laughs> let's see. Here we go. I'm going to share this. Bang. We're in business. And we're going to enjoy our, our president speaking to us. He calls those who oppose him vermin. He talks about the blood of America as being poisoned. Echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany. Rosary beads. He proudly posts on social media the words that best describe his 2024 campaign, quote, revenge, quote, power, and quote, dictatorship. Fake news. There's no confusion about who Trump is, what he intends to do. I placed my hand on our family Bible, and I swore an oath on the very same steps of the Capitol just 14 days after the attack on January the 6th. As I looked out over the capital city, whose streets were lined with National Guard to prevent another attack, I saw an American that had been pushed to the brink, America that had been pushed to the brink. But I felt enormous pride, not in winning, I felt enormous pride in America, because American democracy had been tested American democracy had held together. All right. That's about all I got okay. yeah, uh, that's for our, our president. So uh, 
first thing that came up, and, and I actually want to treat this seriously for a second because yeah. this clearly is kind of the playbook for how to attack Donald Trump coming to the 2024 election. And when people hear things like poisoning the blood of the country, vermin, uh, which of course you can trace back to uh, Nazi Germany, uh, is he correct? Were these actual phrases used by Donald Trump? Is he lying to us? Uh, I, I mean, I, shocker, I think there's a little bit of lying going on, but uh, we actually did go and dig up. Like, is this actually what's being said? And it turns out, I mean, I don't think this is exactly true. Would you say so, Erica? Well, yeah, there was a great fact check done by the Daily Signal over the weekend. So thank you to the Daily Signal for their good work. So you listen to him saying like, Donald Trump posted on social media power, revenge, dictatorship to describe his campaign. Well, what he's actually referring to is a word cloud that was published by the Daily Mail, which is a United Nations, like, or not United Nations, oh my gosh, United Kingdom newspaper, where readers were asked to offer their own words to describe Biden and to describe Trump. And Biden's word cloud was, his campaign was described as like economy, peace, and nothing. The top word was nothing in his word cloud, which we can just, I mean, that, that tracks, between so. the ears, tracks. it does, it tracks. Yeah, it tracks. Um, and then the other words were money and power. They were also in his word cloud. And Trump's word cloud, which again, came from the readership of the Daily Mail, which is not exactly a Trump left wing for sure. <laughs> and yeah. they were, those were where you saw the words power, revenge, dictatorship, America, border. <laughs> and so for Biden to just pull this out and we, it wasn't Biden. I don't know who wrote the speech, but like, let's be real. <laughs> so whoever wrote well, the speech was like, look, there was a word cloud. And we're going to say that this is how Trump characterizes himself. And the, yeah. Well, I was going to say Biden doesn't even write his own speeches. Sometimes no. he just lifts them from someone else. Hey. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> it's just a verbal. A 1988 memory there. <laughs> He's really old. People forget, like, Biden's been around the block. Yeah, I watched the whole speech, and you watch him. Jill, like, walks him onto the stage very slowly at the beginning, and she, like, pats him on the shoulder and pushes him toward the podium, and he kind of, like, goes and stops. And then if you watch the end of the speech, he's just standing there. She comes out, and she pulls him back and gives him a big hug, and there's music playing, and he leans back over to the microphone like, oh, I understand power. He literally said that and you're just like, this is weird. And then she like pulled him off stage again. So it's just, I, I don't want to lean too much on that because I think Tom, it, it is important. Like we should take this seriously in that whoever is pulling the strings behind him and he's complicit, however he's capable of being, whoever is there, this is the blueprint for how they're going to run the next nine months of this campaign. And this clip didn't quite capture it. But repeatedly, again, I was having flashbacks to, do you remember his um, Independence Hall speech? It was September oh, yeah. 2022. And there's like the red backdrop. And he's talking about MAGA extremists. He didn't go as far there as he does in this speech, linking Trump and his MAGA supporters. Those are the direct words. Linking Trump and his MAGA supporters to the end of democracy and political violence and going on and on about this. And I'm like, dude, this is half the country you're talking about. Right. You are literally saying to to Americans, don't trust your neighbor, don't trust Joe the plumber, don't trust the truck drivers you see on the road because they're all here to overthrow the Capitol in insurrection. Well, and they're Nazis. Very the dangerous. They're Nazis, which is the yeah. only like last standing objectionable thing to be in postmodern morality. Well, so, can I just can I just add my favorite part of the I mean, speech? Well, least oh, favorite what's your was, favorite? Well, he he bragged about how he locked up people that were at the Capitol for that protest mm -hmm. for a combined, I think, 880 some years. 840. At, and then got got a bunch of claps for, I mean, yeah. Trump calls them hostages. I feel like that's, that's exactly what they are. I mean, they're there without proper representation, a fair trial. It's, it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to give the unity speech and talk about how much you hate half the country and then bragging about how you locked them up. And then we're talking about eliminating him from the ballot, Trump from the ballot. I mean, they're just, it's so hard to imagine like the lengths that they're willing to go to keep that. They're terrified of this guy, period, right? I mean, to lock people up like that is kind of unconscionable. It's, it's un-American, I would say. Oh, totally. Right. And I would just say like with regards to some things like, like with Trump, like the blood, like that was, I think, a rhetorical misstep that he said that. Uh poisoning the blood by just yeah. allowing this wave of humanity to illegally come into the country. We're talking about, it's going to end up being about 12 million people 
that will enter in the country illegally during Biden's term? 12 million. That's the combined population of the entire country of Libya and Kuwait together. So that's like, that's crazy. What other country in the world would allow this to happen? And so he's like, this is poisoning the blood. Now, people just jumped ugly on him. He's like, you're using an, a, a same expression that Hitler used about how Jews are po poisoning the blood of Germany. So he goes, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know he said that in Mein Kampf. And I actually believe him that he didn't know. And so I would have said that was kind of a misstep. Like I would avoid that kind of rhetoric because it does have other negative connotations to it. But the fact of the matter is we do have a massive problem at the southern border. And you mentioned J January 6th. The left considers January 6th their new like high feast holy day, you know, because it's it's the day that they can show we're the ones who are patriotic. And it's the Trump people who are against democracy. And they they wave their flag. There's on MSNBC. They had this host get on there and he was talking about January 6th and he's literally crying right. been like three years later. It's like, dude, get it together. I mean, if you were live <laughs> on the air at the time, maybe I'd, maybe I'd understand this. But it just gets to they're trying to transform it into like a 9-11 moment, you know, where it's like, oh, can you where were you on this day? Oh, what do you uh, get over it? It was a stupid Capitol Hill riot. And there was a lot of injuries and, and bad stuff. I'm not excusing. It. I think it was stupid. It got out of hand. And actually, you ask American people, what do you think of it? The American people are like, it sounds like a Capitol Hill riot that got out of hand. And Trump was kind of should have said something. Now, Trump on that day put together that video and said, go home with this shit. You know, we don't be at the Capitol. And he put that video, he posted it on Twitter. And then of course, Twitter wasn't owned by Elon Musk at the time. Right. So he puts that video and 10 minutes later, Twitter takes the video down and kicks him off Twitter. It's like, so everyone was telling him, everyone was telling Trump, you got to get on there and tell the people to go home and let that video spread virally. But wait a minute now, it was like big tech didn't want that. So again, these people drive me up the wall. They drive me crazy. It's like they talk out of both sides of their mouth. And of course, now last week you had, sorry to keep dominating this, but this drives me crazy. An illegal immigrant was arrested last week because he brought a machete at the U.S. Capitol. It's like, okay, now maybe we'll understand. Maybe now we'll understand, hey, gosh, maybe we have a problem with the illegal immigration, you know? Maybe we should do something about our southern border, because now the like the politicians themselves might even be in 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 harm's way. Yeah, answer probably not. But Josh, I did want to ask you actually because I was thinking about this. There, the study came out at the end of the week last week, right in time for the J six anniversary, saying that Americans' attitudes toward January six are shifting. And you mentioned that that they're shifting from the sort of reactionary, "Oh my gosh, this was terrible." To got out of hand. We've seen worse now. I mean, since then we've seen worse. Um, but the Democrats are clearly doubling down, buckling down on this as one of their major campaign issues. So between uh, abortion, which will be the other one, obviously, and January 6th, do you think the Democrats are making a politically savvy move to like put all their eggs in these baskets? I mean, if you're asking me if it's good for Democrats to emphasize the issue of abortion, unfortunately, it is. It 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 does help them get a lot of yeah. uh, female voters who would no normally may or may not vote as much. So they're going to use the abortion issue to drive turn up turnout for them. So that will probably help them. Do I think it'll help Democrats emphasize January 6 at the election? No, I think it'll backfire. I think most Americans are like, yeah, it was stupid. It got <laughs> out of hand and whatever. Like, why are we making a big deal of it three, four years later? So I don't think, I mean, the American people just say, you know, it's, it got out of hand. It was dumb, but you know, it's not this well, I think attack on democracy. It, no, it's not like everyone was coming to the Capitol with a bunch of AK-47s, you know, it's just hard. Right. It's just hard because everyone see, can see with their eyes what it was like, it, especially the more the tapes come out, they're like, okay, this is just kind of ridiculous. Like it, it's, right. you're trying to convince people that it is something that it wasn't, even though everyone can look and be like, okay, yeah. Anyone that's actually seen what's going on. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see as this kind of ramps up what direction Biden goes with his campaign and the attacks, nothing new. And uh, we have another interesting part here about the, uh, the dynamics of power, I think is probably a good way of putting it. So uh, before, <laughs> before we get into that though, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this Lloyd Austin, uh, was just missing <laughs> for four days. It was gone. He was AWOL. Just secretary gone. of defense. Uh, We're talking about the like secretary of defense. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about the guy responsible for us being okay. 
um, gone. Uh, just gone for four days. No heads no up. No knows where person, he is. No heads up to anyone. No, I, I don't think I've ever seen. Like, if I just didn't show up today, there'd be no Loopcast live. But like, if Lloyd Austin doesn't show up, like, and the nuke goes off, that's a, like that's a different story. Like, it's uh, a big deal, how, right? How did this? Ha- Does anyone know how this happens? It's so Are funny though. Like in the Hollywood movies, they're like, the president's incapacitated. Get the vice president. Summon the cabinet. You know, they get all, ex- <laughs> but of course, real life is much more like that TV show Veep, where everyone's like, wait, where's the Secretary of Defense? Has anyone seen? Mr. Has anyone Austin? seen Lloyd? Yeah. Should, we, should, should, should we send out, a, I don't know, an all call on this? Uh, where is he? Oh, he's in the hospital for four days. Maybe we should tell somebody. I mean, like, how does this happen? It was so it just, bizarre because, uh, so yeah, January 1st, he goes into the hospital. He doesn't tell anyone. And so President Biden doesn't know. And it even took four days. So his backup is Deputy Secretary Kathleen Hicks. She wasn't even informed for four days. So there was literally no one watching the shop uh, for, for that time. We still don't know why he went into the hospital. Some rumors about like it was an elective surgery and he had complications. So I, I don't want to speculate or anything, but we would like some yeah. answers. I mean, first to- of all, yes transparency right that's what this administration promised us so what did he why did he go into you know what, what surgery did he get how long is he going to be out and why did he use the va i mean dude, the dude's 70 he's made millions of dollars like go pay for a surgery somewhere else leave the va oh. for the vets that doesn't make any sense whatever it's the Price purpose of the job though i mean hey i, mean, I want to first of all guys, i want to we're going to do the little stop here i want to say uh, I see Gabrielle Lynch. Thank you. Oh, oh hey, Gabrielle. Hey, Gabrielle. look at that. Hey. <laughs> so, Aww. Gabrielle, since y'all are live, I just want to say you are my three favorite people. And I've been a fan of the loop since the early days when they had the magnet ribbon choose life. Josh, do you remember that? That was before my time. Wow. I do remember. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for everything, y'all. Gabrielle, we appreciate you. I do see you commenting on a lot of our stuff, and I appreciate it. Uh, we have uh mitch uh did not know this was happening exclamation point that is a that is a great observation um we uh, oh, haven't really fully wait Sorry, a minute what? look at this comment by elizabeth hall he's so old it's like <laughs> abuse of the elderly she's not talking about me is she no i think that's a biden it came no, up right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so old. In there. but but <laughs> if i could Rosie. answer if i could answer mitch's comment here uh mitch uh we wanted to incorporate more of a live element to the show have it be very casual on Mondays, hang out during a lunch hour, just an easier way to kind of interact with people and uh, get girl following on YouTube a little bit. Uh, but we haven't fully advertised this yet because we're kind of working out the kinks. I uh, wanted to make sure that we had a good show go off before we go out to the masses. So welcome. You're on the uh, the cutting edge of, of Loopcast uh, direction here. We want to start doing a little bit more live stuff. And frankly, there's so much news going on. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, is like we get to like thir- we get to Thursday and we put together a really polished show. Hopefully you guys can see that. But we do a lot of research. We talk about it a lot. We decide, you know, how we want to present it. Uh, and sometimes stuff breaks over the weekend and we don't get to touch it until Thursday. And truly at that point, it's either forgotten about or it's old. And sometimes there's really important, you know, church stuff going on, too, that it just gets off the radar and it's actually worth discussing. Um Oh no, Mitch went to the Department of Defense. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. For for the audio listeners, I work for the Department of Defense. I'm required to muster daily, so I find it interesting that my boss's 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 boss can go AWOL for four days. We don't recommend you do it, Mitchell. Yeah, don't try it. Don't try it. That's hilarious. There's the rules for the leaders, and then there's the rules for us, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, That's what we're seeing. Absolutely. Did any any other points on Luke Cast Direction, New Year's stuff uh, from you guys? Uh, I think this is fun. Like we're gonna we're gonna try it out. We definitely wanted to work out the the kinks and the tech and all that. And um, yeah, we'll, we're gonna keep doing this Mondays noon. Yeah. And just we'll see. Uh, let's roll see on, how guys. it goes. Let's just roll. Yeah. Let's keep it rolling. I agree. So okay. uh, next subject here. Uh, this is from Chris Rufo. So I'm gonna share my Ooh. screen here because he's got a really cool picture. Screen share incoming. Share. So this That's is a cool picture, by the way. New right activism from Chris Rufo. Some of you may be aware of Chris Rufo for a few reasons. The most <laughs> recent being he was a part of uh oh, I'm getting the notification to zoom in on this. Let me see if I can do it. Well, it, 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 it's on our it's on the website I am seventeen seventy six. Just remember that. So yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, until art. I figure out how to zoom that in, uh, we're just going to talk about it. So uh, Chris Rufo was responsible for taking down Clyden Gay, uh, or, or partially responsible for taking down Clyden Gay. He really helped amplify he the, the, campaign, right? the mm-hmm. plagiarism accusations. Uh, but before that, he stated mission was to basically destroy DEI. Uh, he's been instrumental at the new College of Florida, in which they basically outlawed DEI in the state of Florida in terms of colleges. Um, or working to do so if they haven't already. Uh, I think that he got on board with the school of choice movement, but you know, the one thing about Chris that really sticks out is like he points on the board, uh, points on the board, points on the board. It seems like he just keeps notching up these wins and he's different to me than so many other conservative commentators or politicians that kind of just get on Fox news and rail against all the things that are wrong with the world, but then don't actually do anything about what's wrong. I mean, Chris is big on putting up points. So he basically has released this uh, conservative manifesto, new right activism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it's really fascinating. Uh, this change right. in thinking to break free from what we've kind of internalized is continuing to lose. And so, Josh, what, what really stuck out to you about this new right activism piece? Yeah. And again, just go to im1776.com, read the, the full essay there. But there's okay. a lot of things about it. Like, I do feel like I, I used to go work in the Beltway, and I talked to some of these, you know, conservative, you know, activists or whatever, and people who worked on the Hill. And I was just, I was mesmerized by how it felt like they had suddenly adopted this this notion that they're the Washington Generals. The Washington Generals are the basketball team that goes up against the Globetrotters, and they get smoked. I mean, they intentionally lose so that the Globetrotters can look like they're so fancy, right? That's their role to play. I feel like so many of the Republicans in Washington D.C were born to lose. I don't understand this. And so Rufo's article is great. He goes through, he's like, um, shouldn't we try to win? And so he outlined lots of, he calls them myths that conservatives, Republicans, you know, have adopted over the last 30, 40 years that are just horrible. Now, one of these myths is, he calls it the myth of neutrality. And this comes from sort of like the libertarian line. He thinks, he thinks that, and I think he's right on this, the conservative establishment has just argued that government-run universities, public schools should be neutral in their approach to, to teaching politics and history and everything. What's the problem with that? Nothing can remain neutral for long. And so after a while, the movements will come along, whether it's environmentalism or DEI or gender theory, and they take over the institution and then the whole thing moves you know, to the left. So he goes, why aren't we asserting that public schools and public and state-run universities, why can't they be pro-American? Why can't they be in favor of the First Amendment? Why can't they talk about our history as if we are not a horrible country all the time? You know, it should it, we should have civic pride. Why should these be little bastions of Marxism? It doesn't make any sense. So we got to get rid of this notion that public schools and state-run universities should be neutral. That's a baloney. So I agree with Christopher Rufo. Excellent first point that he made. Uh, the second thing he says, and I really think this is good. Ben Shapiro would always talk about how facts don't care about your feelings. Now, there's a it's grain line, of yeah. truth of that. There's a grain of truth what Ben Shapiro is saying. I get it. In other words, it doesn't matter what you feel. Gravity is still the law. <laughs> You're if you jump off a building, you're going to fall and hit the floor. So that's what he's getting at, I guess. But the problem with it is, in politics, your emotions do matter, just like facts do. We are Man is a rational animal, but we are not facts only. The idea that we're all some, somehow Spock on Star Trek, and we're only going to analyze things on facts, and we have no fear, no joy, no you know, fright. You know, I mean, come on, like humans, we know humans have, you know, are full of emotions and passions, often contradictory. We ought to have our reason govern it, right? Of course. But the idea that somehow, you know, we're just going to all be rational actors and just put our little emotions in a box, that's not realistic. Well, it's not I mean, human. Has, has anyone been... Mm-hmm. A, has anybody been to a county fair? I mean, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, or has anyone raised children? That's that's right. I think a human. lot of 
It's not human. And I think that one of the the um, strengths that Rufo has gained in his time in the education sphere is understanding that education is not just for training a cold, rational intellect, but education is also for teaching us to feel the right feelings about what's coming at us and about our surroundings that, you know, a child should feel that, you know, awe and wonder and and at the beauty beautiful and at the sublime and that we should feel repulsion when we're confronted by evil and we should feel attracted when we see something that's truly good and beautiful and uh, i think that that's really coming through here in this the facts and the feelings and just in terms of if politics is the art of the possible and it's the art of getting stuff done for the flourishing of humanity you have to acknowledge that and josh i totally picked up on that as well that was a great point he made Erica, let's run through yeah. quickly uh, b- before Josh, you rebut on that. So that's looking backwards at some of the failures, but we're mm-hmm. talking about uh, yes. the way forward. And so the, the new right activism must focus effort on three domains, language, mm-hmm. institutions, and ends. And I think the most interesting of that is ends. But Erica, can you go through a little bit of the framework of what he's kind of suggesting here? Yeah, this was the great three-pronged approach for action. And again, like you said, Josh, this is about, or Tom, I forget who said it, but both of you guys, you're brilliant. We love you. It's awesome. Um, So language was the idea that um, the words that we use matter and that they they convince and they uh, affect action. And the, oh, I was going to pull this. This was so good, this line. All right, so language... All right. No, I've got this. I've got this. I'm down to for language begins a longer process of legitimation. Um, Oh, I got it right here. Yeah. The language and the words that we use and the left is so good at this. They've been doing it for a hundred years. The language games actually are part of the process of legitimation of leftist tactics. And we need to be aware of the same thing. And he says, when the argument Win the elite, win the regime. That's the formula, which traces the path from the pamphlet, which people on the right were really good at writing pamphlets. I think Josh was (laughs) alluding to this. We write a lot of things to power, which actually matters. Um, And so I was, this really kind of hit me because I do a lot of writing and as a journalist, as a writer, I've, I was doing a piece last week on um, abortion pill, the chemical abortion stockpiling that is going on on the risks of chemical abortion. And I found myself falling into the pattern of leftist language about it. You know, I was calling these mothers, instead of calling them mothers and children, I was talking about patients. And you're th- then I had to stop myself. And I'm like, Calling these women who are ordering drugs to ingest to end a natural biological process and the life of their child, this this isn't a med- this shouldn't be treated with the same level as a patient, someone, a woman who's pregnant and has a child with a heart condition and they want to do surgery on the unborn child. Like this is totally different, and I shouldn't be falling prey to this. So language that was the first piece, and I think that that's something we're really aware of here um, at the Loop. The next was institution. Oh, go ahead. No, and we try our best. And I was going to say, yeah. you're about to say institutions. I think that's right. I mean, mm-hmm. what Rufo talks about in this article is he said, we need to accept the reality. We have lots of large institutions in our country yes. from the Department of Defense <laughs> to <laughs> Michigan State University and all the public schools, all dotting all the entire map all across the country. And so we have to ask ourselves, these institutions aren't going to evaporate. They're not going to disappear tomorrow. They're going to be there. Yeah. They're going to be there for the foreseeable future. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is going to be running these institutions? What are these institutions going to be doing? What are the policies they're going to have in place? What are they going to be teaching to their either students or employees or whatever? Who should be leading it? The answer should be us. Yes. We should be leading them. This idea that we're just going to hope for it. Well, we have all our opinions. And let's restrict those opinions almost like it's almost like how the, the left treats religion, right? You can believe in Catholic stuff on Sunday, but don't let it interfere with the rest of the week. Don't let any of your insights from that infuse the rest of the way you deal with reality on Monday through Saturday. No, 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 no. Right. Like, wait a minute now. We should have a right to step up and say these institutions, state run universities, public schools, they should promote basic American values. You know, we should celebrate the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. We should celebrate our constitution. We should celebrate our history and heritage. 
are we going to avoid the mistakes that we made and, and pretend like we didn't do bad things? No, of course not. We'll own it, but we're not going to say everything was worthless in this country. So I think he's right. We need to stand out, stand up to the step up to the plate and start leading these institutions. Which brings us to the last piece of the framework, the, the third uh, sort of leg of his plan of action, which is ends or tell us. Because Josh, I think, yes, there's that, you're, you're leaning heavy on the patriotism and the pride that we should take in our nation and that our public institutions should uphold this. Yes, and they should also be forming our young people in the notion that life has a purpose, that there is a proper end to government. And, you know, we can use this, the language of John Locke. He talks a lot about Locke, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, mm. But all of that has to be grounded. He, he in, did actually talk about how John Locke, that how yeah. I understand. I'm not, the, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not big into Locke, but my only point would say yeah. is to understand that the primary purpose of education when we talk about our youth is moral formation. Yes. Okay. That's the most important part. Like, does it really matter that they go, oh, actually it's on this date that the Mayflower, I mean, all that stuff is good. They should know their history. Okay, sure. They should know literature, obviously. They should know all these great subjects like math. You don't want, we don't want our children to be idiots, of course, right. but moral formation is the thing that's been totally forgotten because everyone associates morality only with religion. And therefore we don't have religion or morality or anything. It's a morally neutral space when in fact it's, not, it's not morally neutral. Yeah, they still no have moral values. They're just usually the wrong ones. Like recycling is the most important thing you could ever do in the world. Smoking <laughs> cigarettes is horrible, but marijuana is fine. I mean, they still have values. So they're still infusing them. Shout out to uh, shout out to the new Polity Boys. I actually just talked to Jacob Amam about uh, the new College of St. Joseph the Worker in Cleveland, Ohio. But ah, nice. one of their the best points on their website because they're big on this like liberalism being being truly like a failure. Um, and so yeah. they have this Christian post liberal worldview that they keep talking about. And I think the I gotta find this quote. It was like. So here we go. We are increasingly forced to accept a world in which the love of God no longer has any bearing on politics and economics. Worse, we are led to believe that this divorce is a success. And I think that keeps going back to what you're yeah. talking about, Josh. It's like morality is politics. Politics is morality. There's no separation. And somehow we've been convinced that the best way to govern is to completely separate those two, therefore destroying the telos of what, what is the point of politics. It's, but it's, to, only, it's only Republicans who say that. Actually... Joe Biden says, Go ahead. I'm Josh was about to make a point. Thing. I was just doing the mic drop thing. All You're right, ready. all right. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I agree, but I, I think that's why it's interesting. He could have chosen like the new left or the new right. He chose the new right, Chris Rufo. And I think that goes to your point is like the, the remnants of that are probably on the right side of the aisle. If you look towards like hyper liberal, like megalodon liberalism like whatever mutation that happened it's it's happening on the left like the scariest stuff is like men can become women uh nothing matters like it, it's it's yeah i don't even know if we can get into all that right now but it's not I just the left it's the well. entire half left half you know of the aisle it's there's no division right now in the democratic party on you know transgender stuff i mean in fact what i always think of california is like the hyper liberalism right that like they're they're the new frontier on this stuff. And now Gavin Newsom is, is, is pledged taxpayer funding for sex changes for illegal immigrants. Yeah. I mean, really? That's your priority? It just seems strange to me, you know. Uh, yeah, Josh. Speaking of, uh, oop, we're back. Let me switch this back. <laughs> Bam. Uh, so speaking of immigration, uh, and I think Senator Lankford's getting heat for this right now. Essentially, what was proposed is I believe this is like the spending stopgap again, where they have to keep funding the government. And so they're having to make concessions on immigration. And I mean, it's just so frustrating sitting here, hearing even people like Senator Fetterman talk about how we have a crisis at the border and we have, we're just bending over backwards basically to accommodate it at this point. What, what was so frustrating about that immigration deal that Senator Langford talked about? We could talk a lot about it on Slack, but what was the problem with it? Well, I mean, we don't have too many of the details about it, you know, right now, unfortunately. But I mean, Lankford is one of these. I mean, he's from Oklahoma. You'd think he'd be super conservative. He's not. He's a pretty liberal Republican. And on immigration, he's very pro amnesty. And so he's worked out a deal with Senate Democrats and it's going to be terrible. And so we got to try to stop it. 
Um, I mean, it just it, it boggles the mind. You know, like I said, we're talking 12 million people that will have entered the country illegally during the Biden administration now, you know, as we enter this the fourth year of this administration. And you think to yourself, wait a minute, what? These are people that are captured. There might be more that we don't even know, right? These are people that were they're intercepted at the border. And you think, oh, so when a country intercepts tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people at their border, then they tell them to go home, right? Like, oh, <laughs> you need to go home. We, you know, you, you, you're that not, would be my if response. you'd like to enter our country, that we have a form, you can fill it out and you can try to apply, but you need to go home now. No, of course not. Why would we have sensible laws? We're, you know, the world's largest superpower. Why would we have basic laws? You know, if I want to try to fly to another part of the country, I got to take off my shoes, you know, strip down everything practically. Uh, you know, my water bottle can't have more than three ounces of liquid, but boy, you can just come right to the border. They'll catch you and then say, well, we can't actually tell you to go home because we have this stupid law in our country. So we're going to just release you into the country. And by the way, we hope you show up for your court ruling. I mean, you obviously already broke the law, so chances are you will again. It boggles the mind. So, and most Americans, when they hear about this, they're like, well, why don't they just shut the border down? And if they catch people, why don't they just return them? And right. actually, lawmakers have said, hey, we should do this. We should, I don't know, close our border. And if we catch somebody, we should return them back to their country of origin. Well, right. What a concept. And Josh. Democrats <laughs> say no. <laughs> the all, all this is making sense i think i think maybe what i was hoping for maybe we don't have enough details at the time part of the live fun but uh some of the concessions that are being made i think the average person understands what you're getting across but what is kind of the sleight of hand that you foresee coming like oh well we had to pass a spending bill so you know we're just yeah i mean it's a, it, it, anytime you get immigration crammed into a must must pass spending bill it's almost always going to be horrible mm -hmm. and it and and so we don't have the details yet, but he, he went on Fox News yet on Sunday and he teased, hey, I got this deal or whatever. So I don't really trust that it's going to be anything good. I mean, if it, chances are it's going to be a lot of the stuff he recycled from previous pro-amnesty bills. So right. uh, James Langford, what, I wish right. the good people in Oklahoma would get somebody better in, in office there. He's terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, if it follows the pattern of what we're seeing with the, the budget deal that we got over the weekend from the Senate and House leadership, then yeah, we can just expect more of the same. Like It's it's what we expected, which was not much, um, but we don't have the actual numbers on the immigration itself. Meanwhile, coming out of the, uh, out of the House and Senate, so it, it turns out that Speaker Johnson, God bless him, uh, pretty much was able to secure what McCarthy secured over the summer in terms of the budget deal. Same deal, Britt, pretty much. It's the yeah. same deal. It's the same thing. Um, yeah, so we're we're looking at $886 billion defense, $704 billion for non-defense. Um, and and the, the top line for the national debt, the debt ceiling bill is going to be $1.59 trillion. Like you can't even really wrap your head around these numbers at this point. I just kind of look at them and I'm like, well, what's another $100 billion? Thinking that, well, that's a thousand times a million is $1 billion. And it's just... You Don't can't even really accurate. wrap your mind around it, but yeah, okay. I won't. I won't do math. It'll hurt my little female brain. But like, I think that um, <laughs> it'll yeah. <laughs> That's on you. I didn't say that. That is on you. We I didn't just, say anything about that. I, know, I was excited about being live, and I was like, oh, I'm going to pull that card, but I shouldn't have. So well, mind. I just I wonder about this this bill, though, Erica. You say it's basically, I, and I, from what I gather, it is. It's pretty much the same bill. Yeah. That McCarthy had negotiated in the summer that all the conservatives like Matt Gates were super mad about. So at this point, you know, Todd Starnes is a commentator. He's like, um, maybe people like Matt Gates need to apologize to Speaker McCarthy because it's I know. basically the I, same I hate to thing say it, but yeah. you booted him out for. So I don't know. I mean, I Seriously. like Speaker Johnson. I think he's a good guy. But at the end of the day, we don't have a 40 seat majority in the House. We yes. have too many liberal Republicans and rhinos, there's not right. going to be a good budget unless you try to have the fortitude to shut down the government for like four months or something. I, oh I my gosh. That's sorry, sorry to completely thing. interrupt this conversation. Are we not, we're not talking to Cho yet? Oh, no. We got to um, yeah, do it. We, it's it's 40 mean, minutes in, guys. We got to get to Tucho, Tucho here. Yeah. Touchy, touchy. Uh, well, you know, so, I actually, I, I defend ourselves. Uh, I, I always like, because to think about it, the last two, three episodes, we were hot on. 
the church stuff. And so we, uh, yeah. we needed to do some of this other stuff first. Otherwise, we'd be oh, church all the time. I know. Yeah. I it is church. kind of dark. People love the church stuff, though. You'd be shocked. Like that last episode did 20K. Yeah. So, yeah, we're doing we're doing all right. Hey, Pogo, Pogo, yeah. if we if we are moving towards uh, Tucho, I believe our instruction uh, from uh, Loop, the Loop, no, from Catholic Vote was that at 40 minutes in, we need to do a, a little CV ad here. Oh, so um, I'm going to I'm going to um, say, Josh, can you do it. Oh, hey, can I do it? All right. Sweet. Yeah, All right, y'all. So uh, this this takes a great effort and we have a lot of people. We're very generous donors who keep this going. And if you're enjoying this Loopcast Live, our first shot at it, it's going to get better. I'm having a good time so far. Donate to Loopcast. Consider giving a little gift to keep the lights on, the mics going. Uh, money goes to more listeners and more subscribers so that our chat, which is a few people now, we could be a whole community of people. So donate to Loopcast, loopcast.org. Check it out, very easy, loopcast.org. Every little bit helps. You could buy me more coffee because um, actually Catholic Vote doesn't pay for that addiction, but <laughs> they did. Loopcast.org, check it out. Uh, they pay for we did get gross coffee. Um, I'm not going to turn my mug around, which, well, unless you ask me to. No, I'm not going. No. Okay. Yeah. No, no free ads. <laughs> I just can I just put a pitch in there, and if anyone listening agrees, I would like a little Loopcast merch maybe to come oh, be coming forth, so that I don't have see. to resort to um, the unnamed news sources. Straight to merch straight to the top for my coffee. All I'll take right. straight to the top. Okay, we're going straight to the top with all my sway. Uh, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we got to talk to. What's going on, guys? So. Okay. A new a new book that's been removed from the Vatican website of this guy's history. This being cute, uh, Cardinal Fernandez. He is uh, the head of the DDF, appointed by Pope Francis. He was the author of Fiducia Supplicans. Josh so famously pronounces it to be Fiducia Fabulosa. Uh, he is a ghostwriter for Pope Francis. He's very influential, and he has a little bit of a book controversy. The first book that he wrote. Uh, was about teenagers kissing and that one hasn't aged too well and so it turns out uh it broke this morning that he has written another book that has been intentionally hidden from the public eye uh this book is about uh sensuality and like i don't even know the bounds of youtube live now i mean we, we i feel like we're a little bit edgy we're not crazy i don't know if what i'm going to put up would like get us banned by youtube live so um <laughs> let's see it's shocking <laughs> yeah do you want to i mean no well, I, let's I just put it this, this way we are one. definitely going to cover this in the loop and we're going to let people know like this contains sensitive information but yeah. again it just gets to this whole thing of like this just i read it okay yeah, so i read it listeners i i got this you know we get the inside scoop sometimes here at the loop and so this was embargoed for a while i got this before it it went public and i got to read they translated it from Spanish, uh, Spanish into English. So I read it all. Uh, it's just gross. The guy is just uh, a pervert. I mean, he yeah. really is. It's There's just no like, dude, what are you doing? You know? And, and the whole thing seemed to me like obvious that it was meant to be like normalized, just the some gross sexual stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know what? And, and trying to unite talking about human sexuality and the the physical mechanics of the, the relationship between man and a woman like in, in pretty graphic detail very graphic like detail mentioning body parts and you're like and, and, and the whole point is just and and it keeps all this verbiage to to unite that and to and to integrate it with you know the the religion and, and mystical stuff where it's like i mean obviously yeah. when pope john paul talks about the theology of the body he does it in a way that that there is there are religious consequences to the sexual relations between a husband and wife. Obviously, there are implications. I mean, of Wait, course, but but Pope John Paul II does it with dignity. You know what I'm saying? Where this, you read this and you're like, what am I reading this out of Playboy magazine? What it reads like on? a Kinsey manual. It's it's like it's pornographic. It, it is. Yes. It, yeah. Well, it's yes. funny, Josh, you brought that up because I was like, well, you know, Pope John Paul II famously wrote, you know, Theology of the Body and and to equate those two is just disrespectful. I, I understand why naturally one might do that, but we're not talking about the same material here. We're talking about right. like the worst of the worst pornography 
and then like true sexual instruction, you know, uh, respectfully intertwined with uh, human anthropology uh, mm -hmm. from a master, right? I mean, Pope, he's a saint, Pope John Paul II, for a reason. But right. we're talking about like, I don't even, I, I want to read some of this, but I don't. I mean, it's just so. There's no need, about, honestly, but like, right, I'll okay, tell so, you. So yeah, Eric, can I? Go ahead, Erica. I, well, I just wanted to also point out too that Pope John Paul II was one of the foremost theological philosophers of the 20th century. The man was trained. And when you read the theology of the body, you are reading a masterful exposition of scriptural exegesis. And you start with Genesis and he goes all the way through. It is integrated. It is talking about the church fathers. Reading these chapters this morning, I was just struck by the poor, poor scholarship as well. I mean, this, this man is over his head when it comes to talking about human sexuality and religion. And you'll see throughout that he, he sort of, he'll pull a lot from, he, he pulls from John Paul II, Mulieris Dignitatum in a very weird way. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but he's also quoting like Neruda, who's a Chilean poet. He quoted this really bizarre uh, about male, male body parts from a, you know, Islamic 15th century poet who actually, I can't find that he even really existed. I've been looking because I was like, I've never heard of this guy, but it's just, it's bizarre. And that he, like you said, it's this strange sort of like, we're going mystical. I'm going to sprinkle in a lot of the book of Sirach and just sort of um, proof texting, pulling quotes that are not necessarily related. It is, it's the opposite of the experience of actually getting in and reading the theology of the body as a scholar, like just from a scholarly point of view. But I also want to point out, it's not just like men and women sexual, like being graphic. That's the problem. There's in the, in the beginning of chapter seven here, he starts going, he first, he talks very graphically about intimacy. And then he starts in on, let's not forget that on a hormonal and psychological level, there is no pure male or pure female. <laughs> and then he, has, he goes this on. Guy. This guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, let us now ask ourselves if these particularities of men and women in, in uh, sexual pleasure, I won't actually use this language, also occur in some way in the mystical relationship with God. And then he talks about how women predominate in churches because we're more willing to let ourselves be taken by God. And I'm like, did has he talked to Francis about his concerns with uh, with the church needing to be demasculinized because they seem a little bit at odds here? But you, it's you, you somehow managed, and honestly, kudos to you, Erica. You managed to find probably the most readable part of that document. And well, say, I tried. Oh, thank you, because that was the one that I was thinking of too about the male and female bizarre. But like, yeah, not going to get into the point of it. If I could though. We can pretty much easily establish that this was a pornographic book written yeah. by what's now the DDF uh, of the Catholic Church. Yeah. People are like, well, this is going to be the final straw. This will get him removed. This will get him resigned. I unfortunately don't think that's probably going to happen, but I'm curious what you guys think. Like, we're, We live in a time of circling the wagons. I mean, look what happened with Claudine Gay over at Harvard. I wish there was a difference between the secular and, and Catholic Church. I, I would hope there is. It doesn't feel like it. Um, in a circle, the wagons era where people defend people when they're wrong because they know they can get away with it. Do you guys see this actually having any bearing on whether or not he stays? Or because people have no shame and they just think about the institution that they're in and wielding power and, you know, there's no universal truths, right? I mean, and, and so you just defend your guy on your team. That's all that matters. Tribal. And yeah, it gets tribal. And it's like, whereas I always feel like with regards to, you know, let's say politics, I supported Donald Trump warts and all. I never tried to pretend like he was, you know, a, a, a saint, you know? And so like with this guy, Fernandez, uh, head of the dicastery, this is the, the, this is the position in the Vatican where they're, they're so, supposed to safeguard the deposit of the faith. And you've got this guy who's writing smutty porno stuff. And he's saying stuff that is just objectively not Catholic. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, he says, let us remember that God's grace can coexist with weaknesses and even with sins when there is a very strong conditioning. In those cases, the person can do things that are objectively sinful without being guilty and without losing the grace of God or the experience of his love. Like, what? what in the world? Do I need to go to confession anymore? Like, I don't understand this guy. Like, what is the deal? And so we had somebody on the comments asking if we're going to go through this. We are going to go through this on our on Catholic Votes website. So we're going to have a, a 
an article later. It'll be in tomorrow's loop. We're not necessarily going to have time right away to compare this with the theology of the body. We're going to start talking to some of the, some experts or whatever, get their expert opinions on this. So I hope that'll be in the, in the article for tomorrow. I it just hate that those two are in the same breath. Like the fact that I don't mind it. It's like, let's talk body. about this. The church, because the thing is, the church is not afraid to talk about the issues of human sexuality and what it means to be a man and a woman. Like, let's talk about this stuff. And by the way, to compare them, yes, John Paul, this is the way you should talk about it. Whereas Cardinal Fernandez, yeah, that's not the way. Yeah, I guess that could be a good opportunity to introduce people to that. Um, it, it just makes me sad, I guess, because this this guy, it's not like Cardinal How far have we fallen? Like, this, right, is but it's, this is what's so fast. It's not like Cardinal Fernandez is some, you know, uh, guy who hangs out in Francis's circle but doesn't have any real power. Like, the DDF is responsible for the defense and promulgation of the Catholic doctrine of the Catholic faith. Like, this isn't even like, he's not even in an evangelical role. Like, he's supposed to safeguard what we consider, what, what we know is the, the truth. Deposit. Right. Totally. Right. And, and yeah. so now, isn't this making a little bit more sense that, you know, people are questioning whether or not Pope Francis is, you know, degrading the deposit of faith. Like this just sure seems like it, right? I feel like those people are just going to continue to get vindicated. And I don't know. You can, man, you can debate prudence, but this is kind of hard to deny at this point. He was up for Vatican post when, when, when Francis was a Cardinal, this Fernandez and for two years, the Vatican was like slow rolling it and trying to stop this guy from coming into the Vatican. And then Pope Francis becomes Pope. And after after a while, he brings Fernandez to the Vatican. And now he gives him the green light. And Fernandez, this is a guy who admits he kind of screwed up in dealing with a predator priest. Like, and he's written two books about this creepy stuff, like the, you know, the sensuality, this mystical sensuality stuff, and the another book on kissing. And it's like I wouldn't want this dude around my kids. Why? Why would I want him in charge of the deposit of the faith? That was my first deep. thought. I'm like, not near my kids. No way, no. <laughs> yeah, and to get to the point of like, will anything happen to him? Um, I, uh, one of our people in the chat here, thanks, Allison. Hey, that so this is an old book. This is not an unknown. This was not unknown. It was scrubbed from the Vatican list of things that he'd published, and um, I wouldn't hold my breath. However. I think the the gift, and we talked about this on the last episode, the gift of Fiducia Fabulosa is that it is goading many, many bishops around the world in a global response who are defending the faith and who are responding with this is what we believe. Um, so yeah, it is topsy-turvy. We're living in the upside down still here. Um, but in, in a way the light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. Josh is going to tell me I'm being motherly again, but I think that I like there's a like truth. It. It's true, right? That as the, it gets darker and the light shines brighter. So, and we're seeing that we are, we had more bishops over the weekend. We have bishops in France, which was kind of a surprise. I mean, France has I been know. a little, little bit, you know, weak on the <laughs> sexuality stuff. So um, to see them they're come out. better than the Germans. I mean, it's. Yeah, they're better than the Germans. Like, yeah. Who would have thought? You know, the real problem is here, American Catholics. They're the worst. That's the problem. Uh, yes. So, so we're at an interesting point here. Um, I guess we could eat, I don't even know, by committee, but we usually do the Twilight Zone to round out episodes. We are uh, 53 minutes deep. Uh, is that something we continue on the Monday lives? I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Maybe something similar in form, but um, well, I, got I have something. Start. Okay, cool. We're, we're we're keeping the Twilight Zone. Let's roll. Let's I have it. another one too, so I'm like, let's keep it going. So Go ahead, Josh. President Biden is, you know, he says he's from Delaware, but he's a native son of Pennsylvania. That's where he's from. And William Penn is the founder of Pennsylvania. There's a big statue to him that's run by the National Park Service, and the Biden administration now is going to remove this statue. This is insane. Like William Penn, the Quaker. He's not like he's a Confederate. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, well, he owns some slaves. So we got to remove the statue. It's like, and they're going to put up instead, they're going to put up like, a, a, they're going to make it a ceremonial American Indian gathering space or something. And I'm thinking to myself, actually, William Penn was commended for how he treated American Indians. So it's like, well, you can't even use that against him. But again, this just goes to show. That the the new left is bulldozing. They started with, well, we got to take down the Jefferson Davis statue, and then all, all you know, like, well, gosh, he's you know, he's a Confederate. I guess we got to. And what about Robert E. Lee? And then it's like, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. And was then, Will, was 
Pennsylvania named after William Penn? Yeah. Can someone confirm? Pennsylvania. Sylvania no Forest Penn. This is William what I'm Penn. talking about. Pennsylvania. Pogo. What? <laughs> shout out, shout you out. need some more history, bro. <laughs> Wait, I thought Come it was, on, I thought Ave it was Maria. The, uh, the, yeah. Is that the Quaker yeah. Oak guy? Is that the guy that's on the <laughs> Quaker Oak? That's the same guy. No way. I'm glad that's we had William this conversation. Penn. That's William Penn, babe. Oh, Sorry, yeah. William cute. Penn is on yeah. Quaker's Oats. That's. Are you serious? Why? Why is this taking you so hard to figure oh this out? Goodness. I just thought it was just a random Quaker. Like I didn't. I didn't know. Like I thought he was just kind of a Quaker-looking gentleman. True story. The first Mercer to come to the United States landed in Pennsylvania. Mercers were Quakers. Look, I have Aww. look, I have lineage back to Pennsylvania as well. I come from a proud Croatian heritage. Uh, you know, shout out to shout out to Pennsylvania, shout out to Hershey. Um, <laughs> wow, I gotta go hit the history books. Didn't know that one. Uh but it's so, insane. It's insane. It I mean, crazy. the thing is, why are we taking these statues down? This is disgusting, you know. And you know, like the there's good people on both sides, Josh. Yeah, well, and I believe I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. But is the statue not on the site of like the home that he he owned? So it's literally just saying like he lived here too. I mean, yeah, it's so dumb. Meanwhile, like if you tear down a Satan statue in the Iowa State Capitol, oh, that'll get you in jail. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. come on. Um, so I have one. It's a, I think it's a little bit more fun. Uh, so it is. So if anyone here is in the audience, maybe hydrating with a Stanley mug, uh, they're kind of the hottest thing in the street right now. I can't really describe how much of a frenzy there is for these things. My wife, unfortunately, has been an early adopter and I hate it. Uh, it's so annoying. They're, they're humongous. She drops it all the time. It's so loud. Like it, it, it'll just clang everywhere. I have to fill it up. It takes like five minutes. It's unbelievable. I'm not, I'm not a fan of these Stanleys, but uh, the the fun part of this story is, and, and don't worry, I'll, I'll share the screen. We're, we're on YouTube. Colette right watching. Yeah. yeah, I'm reading the comment. Mitchell's my fave, dude. Hey, Mitchell, we <laughs> love American you. Heritage course free online from Hillsville. Pogo. You got your homework. Yeah, this won't be the first time I get roasted. Oh, on the comment. That was awesome. I get roasted on here, Welcome but so life. I, you know, Twitter. You know how it goes on on the Twitter marketplace. I should show email. Mitchell. Someone. Oh, I got oh. it right here, Mitchell. <laughs> we got to do this stuff live. Hey, Bill Still College, baby, right here. Nice. Who's coming at you? Very cute. <laughs> okay, I want to hear about the Stanleys because right, so my yeah, daughters Josh, are addicted. All right, so Stanley, you know the Stanley craze going on. So I found on Twitter, uh, someone discovered marketing in real time. Someone said, no shade to at all of to the Stanley girlies, but I think now's a good time to mention that I used to work with Stanley's ex-CFO at my old job. And he said their success was literally because they exploited how easy it is to market to women through things like offering different colors, sparkle glitter <laughs> designs, not because there's actually anything that's special about the product. Take from that what you will. So it's always fun to see <laughs> okay. people discover good marketing in real time. And women are easy to true. market to. Right. You show uh, us like, oh, here's careful, pink. <laughs> no, it's true. There's sparkles and there's pink and my friends all have one. I'm going to get one too. In fact, I'm going to have more than my friends. It's just, we are, we are kind of suckers for sparkles and pink. I mean, not me particularly, but um, kinda, in general, I will not defend my sex on this one. <laughs> Erica, that's funny because it kind of launches into the longer debate. I've been watching a lot of stuff about, uh, I don't know if you guys saw that Star, the newest Star Wars installment is going to be directed by a woman and how that's oh, historic because Star Wars yeah. hasn't had enough women involved in the last couple shows being completely devoted to women being a mental character. Right. Um, but sh the interesting comment that I've seen on it is like people are taking things that men predominantly like for example star wars and you know hey you're a woman star wars fan not you know nothing against it but uh all of the i can't think of some other shows examples now but they're taking shows that men like swapping out female characters into things that men usually like and they're like all right here you go and then they're surprised when it bombs yeah um, but instead you had like the barbie movie which was oh, marketed... it's like ghostbusters right yeah 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 exactly but like you had things like the barbie movie that were marketed at women that were very That's successful, okay. which is like, why aren't we having things marketed to women or, or they're saying like, oh, this is somehow lowbrow or shameful that women like romances or romantic comedies. And so like, we're not going to make them traditional romantic comedies. We're going to somehow involve like an annoying lesbian character that like, isn't actually what women want. Like women want a romance. Right. Like you asked my wife, right. That's what she In wants. General, like, right. It just seems like odd that you can. We want period example, pieces yeah. like Jane Austen films, 
bleak house or a nice like uh when hallmark used to not be gay we like our hallmark <laughs> movies it's just it's in general that's what they want so no but i totally hear what you're that's saying fine. i watched um i watched an interview that the new director of star wars i'm gonna have to look her name up um, oh, so yeah, forgettable but i watched her do an interview with uh was john stewart and he was totally mm -hmm. fawning i mean it was just oh, it was john one of those Stewart's interviews you're like oh come on john mm -hmm. but she's talking about how like i like to make men uncomfortable and i live to make men squirm and it was just i was like well i mean who oh, just so nasty i'm like come on in Is other words when, we can when a man like me would object to star wars and say you're making it too pc and yeah. you take She's like, you're like a character like Luke Skywalker, and then you and then you have the the Ray character, and she's like somehow just as as new as Luke Skywalker was in the first movie, and but then she suddenly she's as much of a you know lightsaber op, you know a wizard like from the get go. Like, well, she's a girl she, boss, right? She she's is a, a total girl, girl boss. boss. Yeah, and, and and we're like, well, that doesn't really kind of make sense. Like Luke for a while has to kind of catch his footing and figure it out, but no, that can't be the way it is for a girl. No. She's immediately in, you know, like a demigod okay. and she can do everything. That totally is what my point is too. It's bad art because Ray, her right. whole trajectory, there's no character development. Like she has struggles that you have to overcome, but there's no change in her. She is girl boss on day one and she's girl boss at the end. Amen. Well, Erica, you know like, what her problem is? What was her problem, Pogo? Her, her greatest problem is that she didn't understand how great she was. Exactly. That was the only uh, exactly. Uh, yes. Uh, <sighs> this is my whole that. thing. Whereas Luke Skywalker in the original trajectory, he actually like changes and he changes but his mind about things and yeah, he reacts so and he Solo. fails. He fails, right? Okay. Right. You totally got me going on this, but yeah, girl no, it's true. is and boring. It's like, there's nothing wrong with having great characters that are doing great things. I mean, like, if you're talking about just Star Wars, like, in the first, I mean, I call it the first, because I these are the ones I remember. Because you're I mean, old. They're, they're the middle three. Yeah, they're the oh. older ones. So in the first two Star Wars movies, Leia's character, she's, yes, she's beautiful, but she's mm -hmm. awesome. She's like a fighter. She's a diplomat. She's doing things. I didn't think of her, you know, that was perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And in the third movie, like, well, we got to kind of keep her quiet and make her look like a babe and not have her. And I thought that made her less interesting of a character. Yeah, like the when they put the movies, bikini on her, awesome. I was like, eh. yeah. I'm not saying I hated that, but I'm just saying it would have been better if they would have stuck with what the, was the original. Like, that was an interesting character. Like, she yeah. was a diplomat, she was a fighter, she could shoot a gun. That, and, and instead of Ray, which was totally unrealistic, it's like, it's not that we don't want men to have roles or women to have roles that are great and good. Like, they all should have these interesting roles. It's just, you're right. Ray was bad art. So I think the the wrap up point, and someone made this, and I, I want to. I wish I could give credit. I can't remember who made this point, but if you look at how kids dress up as Star Wars characters, uh, after maybe a little bit right after the movie, there was a little bit of Ray love. Uh, more kids still dress up as Carrie Fisher, um, Princess Leia, to this day. They can identify her with her exactly, as opposed to. And so I think that'll be the greatest. Buns. You know, and the buns, buns. The, the ear buns. My eight year old had face <laughs> buns the other day. <laughs> all right maybe erica. she heard her brother talking about how how erica looked like uh carrie fisher yeah. <laughs> that's my my like favorite Texas mercer Leia. child my favorite mercer child so uh erica we got to give you your space as as the, the female on the pod to make your your twilight zone oh well i mean i feel like this really did it in let me just pull us up here okay so this is a little more serious um i don't know if we have we probably don't have time to watch it at this point but uh there was a there was a really great um, uh, Joe Rogan moment, and I can't find it now. Let me scroll, scroll, scroll. Erica, we're live. Yeah, yeah we got I know. people waiting. I know. We oh, got people waiting. Mitchell, yeah. Elizabeth. So anyway, yeah. want, they want action. We don't want to disappoint Gabrielle. Let's go. Oh, Come man. <laughs> I feel like tick, I'm down tick. on the job. All right. Well, I'll go with I'll go with the Joe Rogan uh, interview. So there is that he is doing an interview with a guy and they pull up this recording from 1960. Oh, with Taylor Sheridan. Yo, yeah. Taylor Sheridan a... on Joe Rogan. And he's I'm a like, Rogan, bro. And, you, and Rogan, kind of, you know, he's edgy. What can I say? He makes us look like vanilla yogurt. I mean, I he's Rogan. very edgy. But <laughs> but I yeah, he's he's kind of like guilty oh. pleasure. He's awesome. So they pull up this recording from 1965, and it's hard to astonish Joe Rogan. I'm going to link this. Uh, I don't know if they've shown. Do we have show notes? What's going on? Let me um, figure it out. We'll put it in this comment. You got to find it. I had it in the in the notes. This is uh, again. What was the guy's five, name? It was it was Paul Paul something. Yeah. 
the famous like from oh, you know what's gonna happen if you don't find this i'm just gonna start talking about more stuff because i know i got more stuff well, panicking. i think i deleted it from the show notes i don't know why but anyway this recording 1965 pogo's gonna go find it and yeah. they have this guy on there pretending to be satan it's kind of like a screw tape letters kind of moment and this guy's like writing from the point of view of satan and he's like all right if i was the devil and i owned a third of the world but i wanted to dominate the entire world here's what i would do and then he starts going through a history basically of the western world from 1968 beginning of the sexual revolution like the you know d-day there and to today and he's talking about the churches he's talking about families falling apart he's talking about people getting addicted to drugs and he's talking about i mean it just it ticks it all off and the cool part is i mean anyone who's you know, watching Loopcast, Loopcast Live probably knows that, uh, knows this history, right? You're, you're aware of what's gone on in the last 50, 60 years. But Joe Rogan, watching his face, it was kind of like hearing it again for the first time myself and realizing just how shocking this is. Um, in how far, how low we've Because he gone. hadn't heard it before. He hadn't heard it before. And so to watch someone uh, in the public area, you know, someone so famous, watch this and listen to it, and his jaw just like sort of progressively drops. And then at the end of the recording of this uh, reading from Satan's monologue or whatever, he's just like, wow. And it's hard to get Joe to do that. So again, my apologies. I don't have it keyed up here. We'll do that next time. I will make yeah. sure and get it to you all. But it was a good moment. That's yeah, a good moment for the Joe there was, Rogan. There was one line. I, I can't believe I can't find this because they talked about the vaccine. Of course, that kind of dominated mm -hmm. what people took away from it. But it was about like, he's like, if I were the devil, I would convince women to undress and then convince them that it was somehow. It was Paul Harvey. Yes, dude. Shout out. Yeah, yes. Paul yes. Harvey. Shout out Barbara Moore. It was. It was uh, Paul Harvey. Um, but yes, it was like, I'd convince women to undress and then I would convince them that it was somehow empowering. And like in the back in the 60s, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, undress. Like, what do you mean? And like, oh, my gosh, you see the rise of OnlyFans. You see the rise of like, mm -hmm. that's everywhere. That, and then that's somehow powerful. People, women are like, it's empowering for creepy men to pay my salary to see me to do things in my body somehow. Yeah. Um, it all came true. Shout out Paul Harvey. I think Paul Harvey was, I think he was like evangelical. I'd have to look more into his history. But uh, I think that's all the time we got for today. Um, I would say that this was a very successful first live test. This is really fun, actually. I think yeah. we're going to have a lot of fun with Mitchell. This. Mitchell found it. If I were the devil by Paul Harvey. <laughs> Mitchell, you're awesome. Yes. Shout out. Now, Mitch. did Paul actually, Paul Harvey actually write that? Because sometimes you get stuff that was written. No, and then, it, you know, he said it the too. Internet. He actually said it. He recorded it too. Yeah, there's a recording. I'm saying it. Paul yeah, Harvey. We got to get that. Devil. Put that mm -hmm. in the show notes somewhere. We will. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. But uh, so if you want to come be a part of this fun, uh, subscribe on YouTube. The loop, uh, it is the Loopcast. If you look it up, it should be there. Uh, we're going to do this Mondays at noon. We're, we're shooting for the lunch hour. Uh, next thing coming to you from us will be an interview that I did with Alec Torres. He was him and this guy, Joshua Charles, were the authors of this book called Persecuted from Within. And it was a book about how saints became saints during times that they're actually persecuted from the Catholic Church themselves. Uh, really, really interesting guy. Uh, highly recommend. That's that one's going to come out tomorrow. And so, yeah, we're just going to start here on YouTube. You're probably going to start hearing it in other episodes of the Loopcast. We're going to start pushing this a little bit harder. How we put it in the loop. And uh, it's, I think this is just going to add a really fun kind of add some juice to uh, 2024 in the Loopcast. So, uh, thank you all for your support and joining us. Uh, if you would like to help us out, you can leave us a like and subscribe on here. You can go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, Spotify, email me, loopcast.catholicvote.org. Uh, yes, I do respond to those. Um, so yeah, until next time, we have uh, Our Lady Guadalupe, St. Fidelis, St. Thomas More. Pray for us, and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>